Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Uh, this is Japanese way to get the uh, headache out. Uh, long sleeve t-shirts, roll them up, and then tie up on the uh, head, head, like this. Really tight, okay? Like this. So now your headache is gone because this give you new headache. Welcome to the No Dunks Podcast, proudly a part of the Athletic Podcast Network. It's September 12th, 2023. I'm your host for today, Trey Kirby. We got Jerome in the yard making the magic happen. And I'm happy to be joined today by a national women's basketball staff writer for The Athletic, one of the co-hosts of The Athletic Women's Basketball Show alongside Zena Keita and Sabrina Merchant. We got Ben Pickman on the show. Ben, what's up, man? I'm doing super well. Super excited to be here. Yeah, I can't wait to talk W with you. Thank you to everybody here in the stream team joining us live today. Thanks to everybody listening to the podcast a little bit later. Like, subscribe, comment, email, engage with us. Uh, make this show a big time hit. Ben, before we get into the playoffs, I want to talk to you a little bit about the regular season in the WNBA. Longest regular season we've ever had. We've got super teams in the W now, if I'm not mistaken. Highest scoring season in WNBA history as well. Has this been as awesome of a regular season as it seems like to me? It has been. You know, extended games, extended season means a lot more records have fallen, a lot more incredible scoring performances. Scoring has been up, as you mentioned, a ton of triple doubles, some history in that category all throughout the league. The super teams have been as good as advertised, even though New York did take a little bit of time to get going. You know, and, you know, the bottom of the league, the middle of the league has been super competitive too, just kind of topsy-turvy. A lot has come down to the end of the regular season and it sets up for a really exciting playoff so yeah I thought the last week was really exciting because a few teams were really trying to qualify for the playoffs uh down the stretch two teams I pull for I'm a Candace Parker fan first and foremost but then the sky and the dream were like going down to the last games of the season uh to see if they were going to make it kind of reminds me honestly, of a Formula One season where we've got two teams really fighting for the title, a couple of good teams, and then a whole bunch of mid-carters who you don't exactly know what you're going to get from game to game. Uh, But it made for an exciting season, man. And I'm hyped for the playoffs to come around. Did you have a favorite game, a favorite moment from the regular season this year? I mean, there were a few memorable ones. I'm based in Brooklyn, so I've been around the Liberty a lot. I've seen a lot of Liberty games in person. I mean, Brianna Stewart's her first home game when she set a franchise record and career high 45 points against the Fever. Like, that's how you kick off a a tenure with a, a franchise with a bang, right? Like, it was an unbelievable performance. It was like, oh, man. Now we are finally getting to watch Stewie in person. That was super, super exciting. Um, All-Star was a great weekend, super successful, ton of fun events there. Anytime you're around the Aces and just seeing them in person, that is a treat. So those are some of the highlights for me. Yeah, I was lucky. I got to see the Aces play here in Atlanta twice, including uh, Asia Wilson's 53-point game. It was on a Tuesday. 
a school night. I got a second grader and a third grader, and I kept them in the arena until the final final buzzer sounded because we couldn't miss a basket, Ben. That's the most points I've ever seen in any basketball game. That was so awesome to see the fans, the Atlanta fans, getting hyped to see Asia Wilson go to the line and knock down free throws for the 50 and 51st point before she went on to 53. That was incredible. Yeah, that's a treat for not only you, but also your family. Uh, and keeping them out on the school night. Good, good for you on that. Exactly. You know, you don't learn everything you need to know from books. I'm watching. I'm like, this is history class right here. You'll probably never see a game uh, this exciting again. So drink it in uh, while you can. Uh, that, was, that was fun times. And man, Asia Wilson, an absolute bucket. But we got the playoffs starting tomorrow, Wednesday night. So let's take a quick look at the bracket here at the end of the regular season. The Aces are taking on the Chicago Sky in the one versus eight matchup. Would be awesome if Candace Parker uh, was healthy for that one, but does not seem to be the case. Uh, the team you covered, Ben, the New York Liberty take on the Washington Mystics, who do seem to be getting healthy at just the right time for the playoffs in the 3-6 matchup. We've got the Connecticut Sun, uh, a surprisingly great team this year, taking on the Minnesota Lynx, who I'm very confused by. And then we got the Dallas Wings. Versus the Atlanta Dream. Uh, I'm hoping to get to a game uh, in that 4-5 matchup, Ben. But first question I've got for you. We mentioned how there's been two great teams this year. Two super teams in the Aces and the Liberty. The Aces finished the season 34-6. First in offense. First in defense. But maybe a rockier second half to the season after starting 24-2. They finished 10-4 to end the regular season. Meanwhile, the Liberty, they finished 32-8 on the year. Second in offense. Third in defense. They won eight of their last nine games, 14 of their last 16 uh, to challenge for the one seed at the end of the regular season. Are we destined to see these two teams in the finals or is there anybody who could knock one of these two teams off? I mean, it feels easy and maybe a little anticlimactic to open this show and say that it feels like we're almost destined to have the Aces and the Liberty meet in the finals, but it certainly does feel that way. Um, you know, these two teams have been the two best teams in the WNBA all season long. Oftentimes it is by a significant margin, or we've certainly seen, you know, New York most recently, they blew out the Connecticut Sun um, and seemed to put some distance between, you know, the two and the three in, in this matchup. Um you know, certainly there are some other teams Connecticut can challenge. Dallas, I think, is an interesting dark horse in the postseason. And, you know, we certainly learned last year in this new playoff format, there are no guarantees. We thought we were going to get a Chicago Sky uh, appearance in the finals. We didn't in the end. Connecticut beats them uh, in the semis in five games, five thrilling games, rather. But it definitely does seem like we are on this collision course to get Las Vegas and New York. And frankly, I think for a lot of people, that is okay. These are the two best teams talent-wise. It's maybe two of the two best coaches in the league, two great fan bases, two great in-arena experiences. So, you know, if you're a fan of the other 10 teams, of course you want your team to make it or the other six in the playoffs, but it does seem like nationally we're going to get um, a Liberty Aces final, or that's what I'm thinking we're going to get in the end. Well, and that's been a spicy matchup uh, as well. I think they somehow ended up playing four times against each other just in August. I don't know how the schedule worked out that way, but it made... Made it exciting to see these two teams kind of like gearing up for the playoffs, assuming they're going to take on each other. Obviously, uh, the Liberty took down the Aces in the Commissioner's Cup uh, championship game. I saw them celebrating like they had just won the WNBA title. Stewie was saying afterwards, this is our first piece of hardware. What's the biggest weakness uh, for the Aces? Because like I said, first in offense, first in defense. I know they're missing Candace Parker, and I haven't really seen an update on her return at all. So I'm assuming she's out for the playoffs. But how do you beat the Aces? 
I mean, it still seems like on the Candace Parker front that she is going to be out indefinitely. And as a result, just their depth has been a little bit more tested, right? Kia Stokes has slid into the starting lineup and she is a very good defensive center, but she doesn't have the same impact nearly on the offensive end of the floor. And someone like Stokes, who was a valuable bench contributor at the start of the year, has been a valuable contributor for them in the past. You know, she slides into the starting lineup and the bench gets even thinner. And so that is one real differentiating factor in my mind between New York and Las Vegas. New York has a little bit more punch off the bench, not only scoring. Marine Johannes, the, the French guard, she can be, you know, Becky Hammond described her as just like a, a, a gun. She just comes into the game. She'll fire off eight straight points. Boom, 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 boom. Becky made that sound after they played uh, a couple weeks back here in New York. And then she checks out of the game, has done her damage, and that is her night. And New York just has other places and pieces that they plug into the lineup that I don't think Las Vegas has. So it's two stellar starting lineups, you know, some of the best players uh, in the world. But the depth is really something I think at this point is worth watching. It wasn't, a, it didn't make a difference for Las Vegas during last year's playoffs. They still had a short bench, but I think it might um, this time around, especially when they play New York. Is Marine Johannes the coolest player in the league? Yeah, I mean, I think she might be. Certainly she does some of the most unexpected things of anyone in the league. You know, Chelsea Gray um, herself might be the best highlight machine. You know, she's thrown some incredible passes this year. The one early in the year that was a no-look that I think went super, super viral. My colleague Sabrina wrote about it and just all the Aces players reacting about how they were so surprised that Chelsea did it. But Marine on a nightly basis, especially on a, a per minute basis, you know, I don't know how we would really quantify that staff, but, um, <laughs> you know, she just checks in and it's like, here's a one-legged three, here's a no-look pass, here's a you know, a, a dribble underneath the hoop and scoop around and, you know, throw some pass that, from an angle you've never seen before. Like, she is so, so exciting, especially considering how much or how little she plays in a game. Yeah, I'm sure she's thrown a regular pass at some point, but I <laughs> think I've seen 100% behind the back passes or something that's going to end up in a highlight reel. I mentioned the Liberty really turned it on in the second half of the season. You follow the team quite closely. You're really close to Barclays Center. What changed for New York for them to go on this run in the second half of the season? I think it's a few things. I mean, I think just going back to the start of the season, not surprisingly, it took Brianna Stewart the least amount of time to kind of settle into her role. She immediately, um, she did everything for New York and almost was overextending herself or was asked to score, rebound, facilitate at the start of the year because some of the other pieces they brought in just hadn't started to fit yet. Um, then Courtney Vandersloot, uh, started to kind of acclimate and I think figured out how to play better alongside Sabrina Unescu, who's come on super, super strong, especially in the second half of the year, just record-breaking three-point numbers. And then it was John Quill Jones. And, you know, she's a former league MVP, won it with Connecticut, was equally one of these high-profile acquisitions, was going to come in and both anchor New York's defense and also play a huge role on offense. She was a little bit slow at the start of the year coming off uh, a foot injury. She eased her way back into training camp, didn't practice a ton back in camp was kind of seemed to be on a little bit of a minutes restriction early on in the year, was a little slow on defense, wasn't really fitting in spacing-wise on offense. And she's come on super, super strong, especially in the month of August. She's just been a double-double machine. Um, Sandy Brondello actually tasked her after one loss at the end of July to just get a double-double every night. Uh, that She hasn't done that exactly, but she's oftentimes come really, really close um, or, or gotten doubles in a vast majority of their games. And so now that she is really settling in, it just the pieces have started to fit much better. It took a full season, and I guess we should have expected it to take a bunch of time. But now that we're here um, in September with the postseason, the pieces do really fit together really nicely. And that is a big reason why New York um, is where they are. 
Yeah, I'm not surprised it took a bit longer for John Quell Jones uh, to get going. We've seen it time and time again in the NBA when a big three comes together. The third person is always kind of the one figuring out where their shots are going to come for and trying to figure out uh, a way to go from having the ball all the time to being, you know, maybe more of a 1.5 option or something like that. But she, John Quell Jones, was absolutely dominant in that Commissioner's Cup game. I thought she just ran wild inside, and you could really feel the absence of Candace Parker in that game in particular uh, for the Aces. So, yeah, John Quell Jones seems to be a major X factor if those two teams meet. But that's going to be weeks from now. Uh, You mentioned it a little bit. Maybe the Connecticut Sun would have a chance against either of these two teams. If I'm not mistaken, they've made two finals and two semifinals the last four seasons. How does this team take the next step to get past this this sort of wall that they keep running into? I mean, they're running into good teams. They keep losing to good teams. They did make finals a couple of times, but they just seem uh, maybe one piece away, something like that. It's funny that you use the wall analogy because Alyssa Thomas, when you think about her, she is like running into a wall or playing against a wall, (laughs) you know, because of her strength, her physicality. And she just you run into her and you immediately bounce back uh, the way you would if you were running into a wall. Um, But for me, it's all about guard play for them, right? Like Alyssa Thomas is going to get her. She's going to create. She's going to push the ball in transition. She's going to get steals. She's going to score on offense. But it seems like from a just... From a backcourt, uh, if you look at the backcourt that Connecticut has, Tiffany Hayes, you know, she is at the latter stages of her career. She can certainly still show flashes of getting to the rim, uh, creating offense for herself. She's done that a few times throughout the regular season. But, you know, I think she had 20 games this season when she scored between zero and nine points. You know, this is a former all-star. She's turning 34 years old during this postseason. But if she can explode... During the playoffs, I think Connecticut's ceiling is a little bit higher. Natisha Heideman, another one of their guards in the backcourt, she played really well during last year's postseason, and especially in some of the biggest games, their Game 3 first round elimination game against Dallas, Game 5 against the Chicago Sky. She played really well. I think she had 14 in that one. The the contest in the finals when Connecticut beat Las Vegas, she also had double-digit scoring. So it's just can Connecticut's backcourt give them enough of a boost to you know, help Alyssa Thomas, to help DeWanna Bonner out. Um, those are two players, two all-star players who will be reliable for Connecticut, but especially when you compare you know, the Connecticut backcourt to Las Vegas, Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young, uh, when you compare them to Courtney Vandersloot, to Sabrina Ionescu, that, there is a difference there, frankly, between what Connecticut has and what New York has. That might just be the difference for now, and until that is upgraded for Connecticut, I think their ceiling kind of is what it is, um, at least as currently constituted. Well, third best team is still pretty good uh, as far as uh, as far as the standings go. I got to ask you, I guess now, because I can't imagine they're going to have a long run uh, in the playoffs. Is there any chance the Sky can win a game in this series against the Aces? I mean, the Sky play really, really hard. They're super competitive. Plus, Becky Hammond has actually talked about how they've given, uh, you know, Las Vegas some trouble this year and certainly someone like. Marina Mabry can go off. Kalia Copper, we've seen it in big moments. We've seen her star. I would bet not. Like, you know, I might guess Las <laughs> Vegas is going to come out and just bring it. Like, they have been waiting all year for this postseason run. Um, you know, it is their championship winning team. We certainly know in other sports, not that Las Vegas was complacent because we saw them become the number one seed, get off to a historic start in the regular season, but. The playoffs are a different animal. I would expect them to come out really fast at the start of the postseason on Wednesday night 
and continue to roll from there. Chicago, I think they can keep these games competitive, but I just don't know if they have the talent, frankly, um, to match up with the Aces for a series. Yeah, because uh, they traded or let all of their talent from the championship team in 2021 walk away basically last season. And then they <laughs> traded three first-round picks basically to bring in Marina Mabry. Was this a good season for the Sky? Like I said, they made it into the playoffs the very last week of the season. They finished below 500, and now they've got their next three first-round picks going out. That doesn't seem right to me. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a weird season for the Chicago Sky. I mean, yes. I think, you know, we did a poll, a roundtable among us as a staff on The Athletic uh, online, and we asked what our biggest surprise was. And for me, it was James Wade's resignation midseason. Like, I think all the other things aside that happened on court – and off court, if you were going to tell a fan of the Sky and maybe a fan of the WNBA or anyone who follows the league, like James Wade, the coach and general manager of the team, is going to resign abruptly in mid-July to take a job as an assistant coach with the Toronto Raptors. I think that was the biggest surprise, at least in my opinion, of the whole year. Um, certainly, he made a, a big swing for Marina Mabry, who is a really, really good player, mind you, and, and she had a good year. But... He traded all those picks, and then he kind of left midseason. So it's certainly an accomplishment. They played really hard down the second half of the year. Getting in the playoffs is no small feat. Um, they continue to bring it on a nightly basis. They did not quit despite the coaching change. But I don't know if it was a good season. It certainly was a, a noteworthy season, <laughs> a surprising season, a strange season. Uh, maybe one of the strangest in the whole league, frankly. Yeah, when the GM trades away all of the future and then leaves... Months into the future? That was pretty weird. One Wade out, one Wade in. Dwayne Wade now, a part owner of the Chicago Sky. So at least I'm feeling pretty confident about that. But uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's tough to go from winning a championship, almost getting back, to now scraping into the playoffs and not exactly knowing where the next bit of help is going to come from. But at least Collier Copper <laughs> signed an extension. So that's good because she is awesome uh, to watch. Moving on, what do you think is going to be the most exciting first-round series uh, in the WNBA playoffs? To me, it is Dream Wings. Um, I just think there's a lot of talent. That's the 4-5 or five series. It's just two teams that have very interesting kind of up-and-coming rosters, a lot of young roster talent on, on both sides. You know, Ryan Howard, Alicia Gray, kind of in Atlanta. They're back in the postseason for the first time since 2018. Um, and then you have Dallas, right? Satu Sabali might win most improved player. She's had, you know, the best year of her young career. Arike Ogumbawale, you know, one of the best bucket getters in the W. And Dallas, I think, just plays one of the most interesting styles, can shape shift like few other teams in the WNBA. Their front court is really their strength um, or one of the things that really makes them so unique. I mentioned Satu Sabali, but they have Tierra McCowan, who's one of the best low post players on both ends in the league. Natasha Howard, a former defensive player of the year, also in that front court. Off the bench, they have Awa Kawir, who's one of the most kind of intriguing young players. Another big who's super versatile, provides some rim protection, can also stretch on the perimeter. And Kalani Brown, who is, you know, another force who's one of, in my opinion, on the short list of players for most improved. So they just throw big bodies at teams um, and can really frustrate them. We saw them frustrate Atlanta during the regular season that way. Uh, Dallas won all three games. And Atlanta, who is already a little bit mid-range happy, took more mid-range shots against the Wings than they did uh, on average. I believe it was four or five more on average. And so we'll see how Atlanta chooses to attack Dallas. Can they get to the rim? Can they create? But for me, these are just two teams that have expectations, that have young talent, um, and it's just an interesting clash of styles. So that is the series I have my eye on. Maybe you have that as well, being in Atlanta, or you're at least hoping to get a game, you said, 
um, and see him in person. That's exactly right. I was really happy to see Atlanta work their way up to the five seed because if they were playing uh, Las Vegas or New York, I'm thinking ain't no way there's going to be a playoff game here in Atlanta. For those that don't know, the WNBA playoff format in the first round goes, the higher-seeded team gets the first two games at home, and then if one, if the if the lower-seeded team wins one of those two games, the closeout game three is in the lower-seeded arena. So it would be a huge game uh, if, the, if the Dream can somehow get the series back here. But I don't know. Like you mentioned, Atlanta 0-3 versus Dallas this season, and then they got absolutely smoked uh, on Sunday in the season finale. I guess the game didn't totally mean all that much, but not exactly how you want to be going in uh, to, to the playoffs against this team. But at least they're back for the first time since 2018. Make a prediction for me, though, Ben. Do you think I'll get to go to a game three in Atlanta? I don't think so. I'm uh -oh. sorry. Well, show's over. Get out of here, man. <laughs> I hate to hear that. Uh, we'll see. Hopefully it turns out. Uh, I will be excited to see those, and hopefully it turns out that there's a game here in Atlanta. I did want to ask you about Sun versus Lynx. How are the Lynx 10th in the league in point differential, 10th in the league in net rating, and still a sixth seed in the playoffs? This is a team I can't figure out. Well, partly it's because I think throughout the whole season, the middle of the WNBA has been so bunched that, frankly, it has come down to a couple possessions here, a couple possessions there. You know, the margins and the eventual seeding really didn't shake out the way it did until the final week, final 10 days of the regular season. Minnesota, you know, could have very well seen themselves on the outside looking in, but played pretty well um, down the stretch of the season. They also do have one of the five, six, seven best players in the league, Nafisa Collier, and she had another great um, regular season. And because they have an anchor like that who can, again, create her own shot, can facilitate, can shoot it from the perimeter, can rim protect. You know, I think I had her on all one of my all defensive teams as well as on my all WNBA first team. Because they have a player of that caliber, when things break down, she is able to bail them out. Um, and I think overcome some of those statistical, the notes you had. And Again, there really was not a lot separating Minnesota and De and Chicago, um, and frankly the Los Angeles Sparks, who find themselves on the outside looking in. Right, They're, these two teams really did jockey for position. So um, for me, it's just about fee and about making plays in big moments, um, and that's something that she has done. She did Cheryl Reeve, one of the best coaches as well. So um, I don't expect though you 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 measured you threw out some of the measurables, Trey. You know they're playing Connecticut. Connecticut was significantly the third best team by a significant margin compared to Dallas um, and was closer, I think, to the upper echelon group. So I also expect to sweep in that one, frankly. Probably, I think the only playoff team we haven't touched on yet is the Washington Mystics, and they're taking on the New York Liberty in the first round. Any chance of an upset there? I see the Mystics are fourth in defense on the year. They've obviously got Elena Deladon back healthy. Ariel Atkins is playing. Shakira Austin, I know, is a question mark uh, right now, but they just beat the Liberty on a buzzer beater. So that's got to give them a little confidence going in. Is that any sort of uh, any sort of upset threat coming from Washington? I think it like maybe the juiciest series or the series with the most drama kind of storylines. Um, you know, if you were to tell someone preseason that Washington was going to play New York in the first round, I think people would be pretty surprised and something would have happened and something did happen. Washington dealt with a lot of injuries and that caused them to stumble down the standings a little bit during the regular season. The Mystics are not short on confidence. I think that is for sure guaranteed no matter who is on the court. We saw um, after they after they beat New York this past Sunday, 
you know, Natasha Cloud waved to the crowd almost to say bye-bye, <laughs> bye-bye. But the irony, of course, being that she's coming back because Washington <laughs> is playing in New York on Friday and then will play again uh, on the following Tuesday for game two. So, you know, it's, it is a, it is a team that has really frustrated New York um, throughout the regular season. They played earlier in the year, the first game of the season, Washington beat New York handily, and then they won. Washington did the last day of the season. But across their four matchups, New York is, you know, a great three-point shooting team. I think they shot something 37, 38, 39% during the year. They both took less threes when they played Washington. They shot it, I think, five or six percentage points worse. And they also averaged, I think, five more turnovers per game. And a lot of that is just because of Washington's backcourt. You mentioned Ariel Atkins, Natasha Cloud, Brittany Sykes. These are three players um, from the guard position who can frustrate anyone they play. These are all league defenders in the past. Um, some might make an all-league uh, defensive team again this year. So their ability to put some of the clamps on New York's perimeter players and, and just be really switchable on the perimeter is one of their biggest advantages. The injury stuff is a question. New York is still the most talented team. You know, it's not crazy to pick the Mystics to upset the Liberty. Do I think it will happen? I don't. I think the talent of the Liberty is supreme, and I frankly think they took them a little while. I'm not sure how motivated they were um, exactly for Sunday's game, if you're going to give them some truth serum, um, considering how early uh, they fell behind by double digits early in that one. Um, but it certainly is an intriguing series. I could see both games or all three games coming down to the final couple minutes, um, but I do expect New York to still pull it out. Yeah, maybe it's a classic hustler's move where you let them get a little bit of confidence before you crush them when it really matters. Uh, but yeah, let's see that bracket again real quick, Jerome. WNBA playoffs start tomorrow night, Wednesday, September 13th. We're starting with uh, the Aces and the Sky and the Sun and the Lynx. The other two series start on Friday of this week. I believe all those are on ABC or ESPN or one of their associated networks. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, Ben, before we get into the Athletics Anonymous player poll, big-time MVP race uh, in the WNBA this season. Basically a three-player race between Asia Wilson and Brianna Stewart, who we talked about quite a bit. Also Alyssa Thomas. This has been an awesome race. All three of these players putting up historic numbers, but somehow not a toxic debate about uh, all of these players. It seems that everybody's making solid cases for whoever they're pulling for while also respecting the cases of everybody else. How would your ballot go when you're submitting? I mean, I would first say sometimes WNBA Twitter uh, can get a little tense. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to say it was fully uh, without just clean, healthy debate. I think I think it was certainly tense at times. You know, this debate, this all-star, this MVP race, rather, um, it was really a matter of preference for a lot of people. Of Do you look at best player on best team? Do you look at best player? Um, and maybe those are the same people. Or do you look at most valuable? Um, for me, in the end on this one, I actually slightly leaned Alyssa Thomas. Um, both Brianna Stewart and Asia Wilson had historic seasons. And, you know, as our poll suggested, and I think just from watching the games, I think Stewie and Asia are the two best players just in the league, and they will battle out for MVP after MVP. But the nature of Alyssa Thomas' seasons, just the amount of triple-doubles she racked up, but more importantly, just the on-off splits related to her and Stewie and Asia, right? There's so much talent around both on the Liberty and the Aces that I did kind of struggle to parse through, um, you, you know, the, the, those on-off numbers, right? I think Asia was... If you took her off the team in the minute she was removed, the net rating of the Aces was still like the fourth best in the whole league. Um, if you took Stewie off, 
Uh, they would be the fifth best team. I think Alyssa Thomas, if you took her off the court for Connecticut, they were like a minus 23 per 100 possessions. Um, there was like a 30 point difference uh, in terms of net rating with her on the floor. And she was like, she, I think, was second in the WNBA in minutes. Like she had to literally do everything for the Connecticut Sun. And she did it at such a supremely high level that in this conversation, in this moment, I actually lean with the kind of most valuable. I, I, I did rest on that word, which you know, you can certainly quibble with, and I don't necessarily always think is the right thing to do, but I just found the numbers to be pretty stark. Um, there is so much talent around the Aces, on the Aces, and on the Liberty. Um, Connecticut's roster just doesn't match up, and she really did carry them. Um, their other all-star, Brianna Jones, she tore her Achilles um, early in the season. Connecticut had to reinvent itself and leaned even more heavily into Alyssa Thomas than they were planning uh, heading into the year. And so, just the magnitude of, of her year, how special she was, I actually went that direction. Um, I don't know if you disagree, agree. I don't really think you can go wrong with any choice, frankly, though. Exactly right. There's like the three classic cases for the MVP, yeah. like you're saying, best player on best team, which would be Asia Wilson, probably who I would choose just because I think she's the best player, even though in the Athletics Anonymous player poll, and WNBA players think it's Brianna Stewart. So that's another great uh, case for her. And then like you're saying, the literal definition of valuable, it's hard to argue against Alyssa Thomas. 30 points per 100 possessions better when she's on the floor. That's pretty influential. Uh, and like you're saying, they lost their second best player as well. So for her to go to that level, I think is incredible. I also feel like the WNBA does a pretty good job of spreading the wealth for these awards. I don't think we've had a back-to-back WNBA MVP since the first two seasons in the league when Cynthia Cooper uh, won it for the Comets. So I could see it going not to Asia Wilson and maybe bucking that trend of the best player in the, on the best team getting the MVP. We know those three will be one, two, three in some order. Who's coming in fourth and fifth? Because there are other spots on the ballot. I mean, I like Nafisa Collier's case. I think she will you know, find her name up there. Um, Neka Gumake also um, super deserving. I think those were the final two players on my ballot um, someone like satu Sabali for the wings i think will receive some votes um, and then maybe like an ancillary piece or not so ancillary because these are incredible players and we're talking mvp ballot but like jackie young um you know she had a great year i wouldn't be shocked if she got some votes but i do really think when the voting comes out it will be pretty bunched up between one two and three and then down ballot i think it will be a little bit more distance um much like frankly the WNBA regular season right there was a, a big gap sure. between one two and connecticut was third but you know was pretty consistently the third best team throughout the entire year and then four through 12 um, was much more bunched together I think we'll see something similar frankly um, in MVP voting when it's released awesome stuff Ben if you've got an opinion out there on who should be WNBA MVP let us know down in the comments let us know here in the chat we're going to take a quick break here and when we come back we will talk about the athletics WNBA anonymous player poll some good stuff Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Back with No Dongs, talking to the Athletics' Ben Pickman. Ben, you just collaborated with your co-host Sabrina Merchant on an anonymous player poll asking a bunch of tough questions to all of the WNBA players. So I wanted to pick your brain on some of the most interesting stuff. We've referenced it a couple of times already. Big question. Who is the best player uh, in the NBA? And the voting shook out a little surprising to me, uh, if I'm being quite honest, Ben. Brianna Stewart, 54% of the vote. Asia Wilson, 31% of the vote. No surprise those two uh, came in at the top. Nyeka Agwumike came in with 9% of the vote. And then a couple other players uh, got a vote as well. Were you surprised to see the gap that big between Brianna Stewart and Asia Wilson? Almost two to one vote uh, for Stewie. You know, I was a little bit. Um, frankly, I will say just for context, we talked to just under 50 players, so around a third of the league. So we certainly didn't talk to all 144 um, or <laughs> a little more or a little less, depending on who was on in it uh, at a given time. I mean, I do think part of it was just Brianna Stewart and, and just on a nightly basis. Um you know, she was incredible, but I, I guess I really don't have a reason as to why I think that difference was what it was. You know, maybe it was just personal preference um, for a player playing against Stewie when we talked to them. Uh, you know, we I think we talked to at least two or three players on every team, so we certainly spread it out. Um, we were, you know, we tried diligently as we conducted this survey uh, to not just have a concentration of players, uh, you know, certain questions, you were not allowed to pick players on your own team even. Um, and we were clear about that when that was the context. So um, honestly, Trey, I, I wish I had a better reason. You know, I, I think uh, I think all-star voting will be a little bit closer um, than what our poll suggested uh, in the end, but, and Asia might even be MVP, but maybe it was just the personal preference of the players we talked with. I, I really don't have a good explanation for you on, on that one. Well, Stewie scored 40, what, four times, uh, I think, this yeah. season. So I guess there's a good chance you may have talked to the players she lit up after those games, which uh, would probably influence the voting. Like I mentioned, Nyeka Gwumake, Alyssa Thomas, and Jewel Lloyd all got votes for best player in the league. Nyeka came in third, and then Alyssa and Jewel uh, also got a vote. You think there's anybody else who would be deserving of showing up in the other category at the very least? I mean, Nafisa Collier, I think, would be the other name. Um, I think she's one of the players, if you were you know, starting a team, it wouldn't be unreasonable to want to start a franchise around her. We certainly see Minnesota right now um, building a franchise around her. But no, I mean, I, th I think those are really the the players you would target, um, the players that GMs would target, the players that fans would target would be, would be the stars you mentioned. All right, that's the best player now. But another question I really liked that y'all asked was, who will be the best player in the league in five years? Asia Wilson, she did come in first uh, in the voting here, but not by all that much. 31% of the vote going for the Aces Asia Wilson, followed by 27.6% for Aaliyah Boston, the rookie for the Indiana Fever. Jackie Young got some votes. Satu Sabali got some votes, as you mentioned, and then a whole bunch of other players as well. What's the ceiling for Aaliyah Boston? I know she's going to win Rookie of the Year pretty easily this year. The Fever had a chance maybe of making the playoffs if things went their way more in clutch time. What's the ceiling for Aaliyah? Because she seems like she's the best prospect since Asia Wilson. Yeah, I mean, I think the ceiling is what this poll suggests the ceiling might be, that she could be the best player in the league in 
five years, if it even takes five years. I think she can be that good. We saw her impact almost from the jump, from her very first game, from her first few games with Indiana this year. Um, That franchise took a ton of step forwards on court, off court. I think they're investing more than maybe they have in the past. And, you know, they have a real identity. You can see they put out a lot more. And these things matter, like a lot more social content, a lot more stuff on social media, more personality. They've really started to build around her on all facets, the way you would expect a team to build around their franchise player in so many different ways. And so I think the ceiling is you know, what that poll suggests. I do want to, if, you know, you want to go back to that graphic or flash it up, or I, I can talk through it again. You know, that graphic, I think this question is one of the most interesting we did in the whole poll. Um, and I just want to highlight two things on it. One, you know, the other, Brianna Stewart is an other on this question, um, but she was the best player on the other. And I think one of the reasons it hmm. jumped out to me is that I think there's per- this perception that she's so much older than Asia Wilson when there's really just a two-year gap between the two and so to see this kind of stark discrepancy between best player right now and who some players think will be the best player in five years when asia and stewie are pretty close to contemporaries or much more contemporaries than say asia and Aliyah boston are i think that was one thing that kind of surprised me as we were doing the poll was just how few people frankly said brianna stewart and again maybe that's because of her achilles injury also a couple years back and asia obviously hasn't had a significant injury like that yet um the other thing is no college players right? Uh, No Caitlin Clark, Mm -hmm. no Angel Reese, uh, no Cameron Brink. You know, we have, there's going to be an incredible influx of talent coming into the WNBA uh, over the next couple of years. You could have said a college player for this question. We would have accepted it. Um, No one went that route. I think a couple people pondered it, thought about it. "Hmm, Maybe there is a college player I should go to, or there's so many choices, but nobody went that route, which I think was super interesting because a year ago at this time, Aaliyah Boston was playing in college. Um, so, uh, things happen really fast. I think it will be super interesting in three years time, say, uh, if we ask this question again, just to see what people say. Uh, yeah. In three years time, do you think Aaliyah Boston will still be the choice? I mean, she'll be halfway through her five years at that point. She, she might be. And honestly, she might be the best player in the league at that choice, I think, or maybe it will be 30, 30, 30, Stuart Wilson, Aaliyah Boston. I think we'll have to see. It wouldn't be shocking. Maybe <laughs> Caitlin Clark also, who, who really knows? Yeah, we shall see. You mentioned that on some of these questions, you had to tell the players they can't include anybody on their own team. And that is the case for most underrated player in the league, which has a funny result because other came out as the champion. So who's your choice here as the most underrated player in the league? I mean, I think this was tough because there is a media angle to it or like a public perception angle. And I think Jackie Young, who was the player who received the most votes or the singular player that received the most votes like i think she is still undercovered under discussed uh, maybe publicly uh, and that is why a lot of players you know ended up saying her you know if you don't see a ton of you know tweets or big talk shows or segments about jackie young but she's someone who most improved player all-star starter uh you know she probably will make first or second team this year one of the five to ten best players 12 best players in the league but because she is a little bit more quiet as an outward personality, I think maybe doesn't get the the coverage um, she deserves, but she also was a number one pick herself um, in 2019. And she just had this kind of steady growth, this steady improvement um, year over year. Now she is one of the best players in the league, but I don't think she's kind of talked about in that same group. Um, So 
that answer didn't surprise me. But Benajah Laney, another candidate um, who received a bunch of votes, she has been super important for the Liberty this year. She's really the Swiss Army Knife defender for them. Um, she's far more than just a kind of 3 and D wing. Um, and when she can create offense, when she can score the basketball, um, you know, she makes New York even more dangerous. They're starting five and their depth. She often guards best players on their team. You know, on a team of super teams, I think she often is forgotten a little bit, but she just signed an extension with New York to keep her there for the next couple of years as well. So she's a little bit underrated. And I think, especially as the postseason comes, she's a player to keep your eye on um, as you're watching New York because she'll play a big role in everything they do and all the success that, that they may have. Yeah, kind of similar scenarios for Jackie Young and Benajah Laney yeah. being maybe the fourth player after the big threes on their teams, which is crazy to say, like you're saying, for Jackie Young, she was a number one pick. She's going to finish top 20 in points and assists and basically was 50-40-90 for this season, and she's the number four option, and it tells you how stacked uh, a team like the Aces are. Um, a couple of things that stood out to me that I like to see, uh, Cheyenne Parker getting votes for most underrated player in the league, played a few, played a handful of seasons, uh, in the W, but really turned it on this year for the dream, giving them an interior presence. She made all-star, uh, for the first time. I love watching her play. And the other thing that kind of surprised me is no votes for Chelsea Gray finals MVP, the point God, like you're saying, she's got highlights time and time again. I was a little surprised uh, that she didn't get any votes just because she seems impossible to play against and a guaranteed clutch basket when it comes down to it. Yeah, but she does create a lot of highlights. And I think a lot of sure, this is just sure. public perception and people tend to know Chelsea Gray's name. So, you know, maybe maybe that was part That's of true. it. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe Chelsea on another team, if she is the clear 1A option, um, whereas, you know, in Las Vegas, she can be 1A, she can be, you know, 2A, 3A, or 4A, depending on who is on the court. Um, uh, You know, maybe she's a little bit underrated considering how good she is. But, I mean, we see a lot of Chelsea Gray. But I think Deshaun Parker is another good shout, too. I noticed you didn't ask most overrated player. That caused a ton of waves in the NBA uh, when the question was asked and Trey Young came back as the most overrated player in the league. Who do you think would have won that vote? Uh, I will I will bite my tongue on that, but I will say a lot of players also bit their tongues. Um, it was something we set out to ask a little bit on. Um, we set out to ask a little bit about that, and a lot of players really did not take to that question, I will say. Um, some had thought about it. Some did not take to it. Um, I think it's one, <laughs> frankly, it's like it is a tough one if you're not getting a fair sample on, like to just run. Yep. Um, and that was something we wrestled with as we were putting this poll together, I will say. All right, fair enough. Uh, Moving on, another great question. Which organization would you most like to play for? And the Las Vegas Aces won this one pretty handily, taking home 27% of the vote. Uh, The next highest finishing team, the Washington Mystics and Los Angeles Sparks, both at 20%. What makes the Aces such a special organization? They've been great since they joined the WNBA. It's talent, but it's also investment. Um, They have a 64,000 square foot brand new practice facility that has every amenity uh, that you would want, every kind of recovery tub and chamber and food and, you know, own beautiful lockers and a practice court that you can access at any time. It's just overall investment, um, I think, is a big reason why a lot of players chose them. Certainly playing in Las Vegas and it's fun and games are fun and the game ops are great and they do a lot of things to engage the fans. The crowds are really into it, but... You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that some of the franchises 
um, that were most said or in that poll were some of the ones that have owners who have invested or have success. I mean, Washington, uh, a big thing, you know, they certainly have used some of the Mystics facilities, uh, amenities and have access to to the Monumental Sports Group. Um, Los Angeles, a ton of people said them. Frankly, they have a little less investment than some of the other teams on the list. But whether, um, you know, playing in L.A., playing in Staples or Crypto.com, uh, playing in that arena and the kind of appeal there, though they don't have their own practice facility like some of the others. Um, and then New York, location, uh, continued investment in the franchise. But Las Vegas stands out because of the talent, the ownership, their commitment um, to the product. I think that's pretty clear. And I think it's not really a surprise that we saw them at this point in this poll. I think that was the answer we were expecting and it's the answer we heard. Yeah, I see these sky crept in there with 10% of the vote. You think that's the Dwayne Wade effect? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's actually a really good point. I, I think it definitely could be. Um, I think it could be because they're another team that, you know, they don't historically have the same level of investment as, say, New York right now or Las Vegas um, or maybe even a Washington or someone like Indiana who might be able to draw from uh, some of the NBA facilities or the NBA ownership groups. Um, yeah, Dwayne Wade effect is a really good one. I think also playing in Chicago is still appealing. And we certainly saw during those finals runs, or the final run that they had. That crowd is great. Like they get really into it. They're super supportive of the team. Um, and yeah, maybe things are, are starting to change for Chicago. Um, I think for a lot of players, it's personal preference to weather, location, where they're from. Little factors like that, that maybe they sh- we wish they wouldn't factor in as much, but you know, <laughs> these are their answers. So, so be it. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, you play 40 games. That's a lot of games, but there's 325 other nights out there that you got that you got to worry about as well summers in uh, chicago not bad summers in chicago not bad but winters in chicago yeah they are bad yeah. uh, as it turns out uh changing lanes here a little bit this is actually from a different survey espn also asked some wmba players the biggest issue facing the wmba and they came back with 53 percent of the vote saying that travel is the biggest issue in the wmba i know y'all just did a big episode on the travel problem in the WNBA on the Athletic Women's Basketball Show. Do you agree this is the biggest question that the W has to figure out going forward? I do. I also think it is one that is really central to the upcoming collective bargaining agreements. And not to get too in the weeds and get too nerdy here, but I think it is one thing that the league recognizes is going to have to change or players really want to change. And I think it is something that will change um, in the next two or three years when the new CBA gets renegotiated and eventually comes into effect. I mean, we see players on a nightly basis, especially in this extended 40-game season, talk about flight delays, talk about travel issues. It's something that I think a lot of people don't realize is there are so few off days in the WNBA because the day after a game, a team is flying from one arena to the other. And as anyone who travels commercially for fun, travels for work, goes on trips during the summer, recognizes you know, a travel day is not the same thing as an off day. Uh, getting in an airport, flying commercial, waiting in long lines. You know, we did this big report uh, in mid-August that I recommend people checking out. I talked to Kathy Engelbert, the commissioner. I talked to the WNBPA head, Terry Jackson, and more than a dozen players about just small little solutions that they would want to see on the travel problem. You know, a very simple one that some players talk about is lounges. Just having lounge access consistently Delta, American Airlines, United, being able to rest there, to recharge, to separate from the general public. Like that is something that WNBA players don't even have when they fly commercial. Um, the WNBPA, they did a, launch this partnership with Priority Pass, which is a 
kind of, I guess, a, a service that provides some lounge access, but it's a mostly international service. So, you know, there are some markets in which teams could take advantage of it, but not that many. And so, you know, travel is going to continue to be uh, a big topic of discussion. One other thing I would say on it uh, before, you know, this is a long topic and we talked a lot about it, as you mentioned, Trey, on the podcast is um, the WNBPA, all they really want is choice and optionality. Like that is the big thing they are pushing for. They're not necessarily right now saying we want charters on every flights. They just want teams to have the ability to charter as much as they can. You know, if you want to charter three flights, five flights, eight flights, whatever, teams don't even have that choice right now. Um, and that is something that they really want to see going forward. So I do expect some change on that, though, um, going forward. When is the CBA up and when do negotiations take place? It will be basically two or three years is, is when the opt-out is. Um, and it all will coincide with a new media deal coming into effect. So, um, you know, I think the league is saying if we can get a new t- media rights deal um, that creates this influx of money, basically months later, we're going to see is when the CBA would be renegotiated or, or accepted or, or could be, I guess. You know, they can always amend things and agree earlier or later, depending on um, what happens. But uh, the timeline between the CBA and the media rights deal are aligned. Um, and so I think, you know, assuming the NBA, uh, the WNBA gets a deal that they want, um, I think the players will see uh, some charter changes that they want. One other thing that I think will be really interesting to this audience in particular is, you know, the NBA doesn't actually require charter flights. Like if you go through their CBA past and the new one, there's nothing in there that says teams have to fly charter. Um, teams are just given the option to fly charter. Um, it's just become the standard and every team does it. And if an NBA team didn't fly charter, you know, I better, I think anyone would suggest they're not going to get the same level of free agents. Uh, buyout guys are not signing with teams that are flying commercial at this point, anything like that. Whereas in the WNBA CBA, the way it's currently written, teams are really restricted. Um, you're not allowed to book charter flights. Teams are not allowed to do that. You have to fly economy plus and if a player even wants to fly first class they have to pay out of pocket to do that so that's just one really interesting kind of cba nuance again we're getting into the weeds here late in this episode but you know i think it just speaks to again the WNBA just wanting or the players wanting some choice um as they look for this to change going forward i think that's an easy ask just being able to do it and like you're saying that would separate organizations furthermore the teams that are willing to take charters that are willing to invest that money are going to be able to lure even better players so hopefully that comes about uh in the next cba which said it'll be a couple of years i assume that's the earliest that the league could also uh address something from the athletic player poll which is expansion you asked players uh, if they would rather expand via teams or if they would rather expand via roster spots, though they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. 58% of the vote went for expanding rosters. 42% went towards adding more teams. Which do you think is more likely? Do you think either of these happen next time around? I I definitely do. Um, I think we'd see movement on both fronts. Um, And as you mentioned, they aren't mutually exclusive. And I think roster spots is something that I think players hope, why doesn't it happen before CBA negotiation? Because I don't even think it would take that, um, a full CBA renegotiation to expand roster sizes. You know, one thing that is a little bit of a misconception is the WNBA, it often, you know, calls itself the 144. And, you know, there's some symbolic significance to that, right? There's kind of power of the activism, um, all the off-court, you know, power that the players have kind of in speaking to social issues and political issues and using their voice, that's part of the 144 collective. But 
on a WNBA season across the league at a given point, there's almost never 144 players signed. Um, many teams only roster 11 players, sometimes even 10 players. Um, there's something called emergency hardship contracts, which is a big thing in the WNBA and just makes things very messy and players kind of coming in and off on and on and off rosters at any given point. And so just expanding it to 14, 15 players, maybe it's two players who don't dress four games, but can then be activated. You know, that can be 24 more jobs, 36 more jobs immediately. A lot of players in our poll, you know, when we asked this question, they said, you know, before we expand to more markets, can you just treat us better? Like treat the players you have better, um, make their experiences more positive. That was a common refrain we had, you know, tend to those people in your house before building a whole new house was um, to paraphrase one of the remarks from a player. And I think that's a super fair refrain. Um, and I don't think there's a reason that there couldn't be, you know, more spots right now. I, I always tell people um, when they're getting into the WNBA or comparing a little bit the NBA and the W is watch garbage time in the WNBA because even in a 30-point blowout game, like a team's, you know, front runners for the sixth player of the year, um, the seventh best player on a team, they still have to play garbage time. Like it's a 35-point game and they're still in the game. Whereas in an NBA game, you never see that, right? Like it really is empty. The concept of emptying your bench does not really exist in the WNBA. More roster spots would um, change that problem, but it also would have a, a much more, have much more effects, obviously, um, than just that. Yeah, because at the start of the season, it was a big controversy that all of these young players were trying to break into the league, right. and there just weren't enough roster spots to the point where number one overall picks are getting waived a couple of seasons into their careers, which is something, like you're saying, you wouldn't see uh, in the NBA. So adding, you know, 30 more jobs would have a big-time effect, I think. Yeah, and look, I think first-round picks, you usually get maybe a f one season, um, in which it feels pretty safe. And some in recent years we've seen haven't even made it through that. But generally, I think a first year for a first-round pick is safe. But by year two, when that preseason, that training camp comes around, like you are fighting for your job just like any other player. We see it with second-round picks, third-round <laughs> picks right off the bat. I think it's like why in our business, sometimes doing WNBA draft grades like feels kind of silly. <laughs> because it's like, what are we really evaluating here? What are we really grading? Like, what chance do these players really have of making the team? It's kind of, it's a sad thing to say, but <coughs> it is a little bit of the reality that one rookie, you know, maybe two will make a roster. On occasion, three will make a roster. Um, if that, and some teams don't even have first-round picks, it just makes, you know, it is really hard for rookies to break in. Expanding the rosters would help player development. Um, and again, it, it would alleviate a lot of problems you said too, Trey. Well, you mentioned fixing the house that you're in before building a new house. If the WNBA decides to build a new house, which city is the next to get a team? I mean, I think the front runners, a lot of people expect Toronto, which we saw a preseason game this year between Minnesota and Chicago. Um, sellout crowd, amazing atmosphere. Um, I think they just put out a WNBA branded court. I forget where in the city it is, but... You know, if you can someone search on Twitter, it is a super, super cool looking court. Um, I think that city is primed and ready to go. I think the Bay Area is also another front runner. Um, you know, maybe it's affiliated with the, the folks that own the Golden State Warriors. Maybe it isn't. But that is another market that I think is clamoring for a WNBA team that I think a WNBA team would definitely succeed in. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Awesome stuff. We will wait and see uh, what actually ends up happening with travel, with expanding roster spots, with expanding uh the entire league uh, in general. We're going to head to Tweet of the Night. Mm, tweet of the Night. Wow. Twitter. Tweet of the Night, Post of the Night, call it what you want. Ben brought us something special. So walk me through what we got here from Ryan Howard. Yeah, really, it is kind of the tweet of the season and, you know, the exchange of the season. It is going back to uh, an er- a game earlier in the year when Atlanta and New York played each other. Uh, Atlanta blew out New York uh, on this, I think it was June 23rd was the night of the game, a 30-point game in Atlanta. And Ryan Howard tweets out July 27th. She has marked her calendar because that was the next time that New York (laughs) and Atlanta were going to play. Like any good Twitter story, this is a multi-part drama. So if you go to the next tweet, the next screen, you can see on July 27th, these two teams played the New York Liberty on their official account. They certainly knew that Ryan Howard marked her calendar. And as they said, like we said before, business is business. The New York Liberty handled Ryan Howard and the Atlanta Dream that night. They actually did it twice. They, you know, did that kind of pull graphic thing that you often see a site like Clutch Points do. I don't even know how to describe that. The little screenshot in the tweet, another tweet to reference Ryan Howard's. And Ryan said, you know, she kind of acknowledged that New York got the last laugh and you know, she said, no, it's cute. Like, she's going to redeem herself going forward. You know, this is a three-part play. She didn't have the opportunity to redeem herself. These teams won't meet in the postseason. 
uh, I believe. I, I'm not sure. I, I guess I'm pretty sure, or I feel very likely saying that they will not meet in the postseason. I'm not sure how the math breaks out. I think they're on other sides of the draw entirely, but we'll wait until next year to see if there's a fourth act of this play, if there's any future resolution. Clearly no love lost between Ryan Howard and the New York Liberty and the New York Liberty social media staff uh, because they also got engaged in this fun, uh, not just the players. Well, I don't know when game one of the WNBA finals is scheduled, but I'd love to see a Ryan Howard tweet calling out the New York Liberty. Yeah. I'll see you in the finals. Maybe she'll be wearing an Aces jersey sitting courtside. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, this one backfired, but I do know uh, Ryan Howard is good with call-out tweets because she went to some Hawks games and she said, Trey Young, when are you coming to a dream game? He showed up to a dream game. In Las Vegas, if I'm not mistaken. Las Vegas or Los Angeles. And she's like, that's nice. How about a home game? And then he ended up showing up at a home game uh, as well. So, you know, sometimes it works. And yeah. sometimes you get beat by the New York Liberty, unfortunately. Yeah, but yeah, that's Who's right. Who's the spiciest? Ryan. Who's spiciest tweeter? It's Sydney Colson. Yeah. Yeah, she would be the MVP of the whole season. I would recommend uh, following Sydney Colson. She is a part-time comic, Las Vegas Aces guard. Uh, one of their reserves, but she is unafraid about tweeting tons of sarcasm at her humor, uh, at her teammates. I think on the night that Asia scored 53, she was like, 54 would have been nice. Uh, the whole team pranked her at the start of the year and pretended that she had been cut. Um, Becky Hammond even got involved in the prank. I mean, she is tweeting at her teammates, uh, poking fun at them. She is fully spicy. She is fully getting in the mix. She is lighting it up on WMB Twitter, not afraid to engage. Um, she might be the single player who is the MVP of WNB Twitter, and that might not just be for this year, but in recent years too. What was it like on Emoji Day for you when Brianna Stewart was just tweeting out random strings of emojis and everybody was trying to crack the code? It was pretty crazy. Like, I, I certainly didn't know what they meant. And it was one of the things that when I first sat down with Stewie in New York uh, at the start of the season, we, we did an interview um, during training camp or as the training camp was ending. And I had actually printed out all those tweets. I recommend people reading this story uh, on The Athletic. And I just said, decode these for me. And she, at certain points, was like, I'm not really sure what this one meant. Like, I, I genuinely don't know. I think I was just messing with people. And I kind of respected it. Like, you know, some of them made sense. Some of them she was trying to explain. And then some, we were both at a loss. And I think that was kind of the fun of it. You know, certainly good for the drama. I think we'll see something similar this year. She hearkened back to Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan and Chris Paul and that <laughs> the famous, what, Clippers Rockets locking in the house, where's the chair, oh, yeah. all the plain stuff. That was her inspiration, which I also thought was such a great callback um, for some Twitter emoji uh, offseason battle. Yeah, very relatable. I mean, you and I are podcasters. There's a lot of times where we know exactly what we're trying to say and a lot of times where we're just talking and some stuff is just coming out. It even happens uh, to Brianna Stewart, which I suppose uh, is good to know. Ben, thanks so much for joining me. Tell me a little bit about the Athletic Women's Basketball Show. I know y'all are just a couple of episodes in, but I've really been enjoying it so far. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's certainly been a ton of fun so far. Basically, twice a week, we're going to talk a lot about the WNBA, much like we did Today, it will be on-court stories, um, what's going on around the league in terms of games, previewing playoffs, previewing matchups. It will also be something we do in the college season, previewing the on-court um, on game, what's going on. We'll also talk topics, travel, expansion, pay inequity, NIL, things like that. Um, last year, I was lucky enough to go abroad. Um, I visited a ton of WNBA players overseas. 
Um, that's something I think we may be able to do or we may be doing again this year. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the WNBA offseason, overseas, international basketball, which is a really important part of the professional game. I think our hope is to just both educate, to inform, to entertain all different breasts, not just be on court, not just be topics, not just be America. We'll sprinkle in the international flair, as I said. Um, we hope it's just a place that, that you listen, you learn. Um, we talk about women's basketball. It will be a, it's been a ton of fun to do. Um, and I think it will continue to just be a really enjoyable thing. So we hope people continue to, to follow along, subscribe, follow, like, give us feedback. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. I definitely will be. Y'all are going to be covering college basketball uh, as yeah. well, right? Because I have to imagine this is one of the most anticipated NCAA women's seasons that's ever been. Yeah, exactly. Super exciting women's season in college coming up. Um, ton of talent. And yeah, we'll be doing it throughout college twice a week then as well. So Ryan, you know, finished the WNBA season with us. We kind of started it as the postseason uh, crunch time was going and we'll flow right into the college season. So uh, no breaks for us. Should be awesome. Make sure to check that out. It's called the Athletic Women's Basketball Show. You can find it on the Athletic app. You can find it anywhere you get podcasts. Ben, Thank you so much for coming on, but no thank you for saying that the Dream are going to get swept. Uh, I will hold that against you until the next time we talk, which maybe we'll have to do something for the finals or something like that a little bit later on. Absolutely. I think you should just tweet out the date you want me to come back. Mark it on your own time, <laughs> Howard, and uh, I'll come back to it when, when that time comes. I love it. We will have to talk then. As for No Dunks, Tass is back tomorrow with a new episode of No Bunts on the Athletic Baseball Show feed. And us No Dunks guys will be back next week at the latest if anything happens uh, (laughs) in the NBA. Because the biggest news right now is Boban coming back to the Rockets. Did you have a take on that one, Ben? Boban's back. Pretty surprising, honestly. Pretty surprising. But uh, I'm excited to see that his NBA career is not over. Maybe his acting career also not over. We'll see about that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, Until then, Clipper Bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. All right. Embrace the day, people. We're back soon.